Hello and happy holidays, Weight Endurance Podcast listeners. This is Coach Cody with a special announcement that our QRA team shop is open for one more week. Jump on over to QRA.ch, click on the team shop, click on Weight Endurance, and you'll see all the amazing cycling clothing that they've put together for us for our 2021 season. Grab yourself some fresh new kit for training and following along our training programs. All proceeds made from the sales of these kits goes directly to the We Development Junior Mountain Bike Race Team. So get yourself some fresh threads and help support our junior team. And we'll even offer a 10% discount, We Devo 10 upon checkout, so you can save a little bit of money, buy a little more stuff, and help support junior cycling. Thanks for listening, guys. On with the show. time to talk training, fitness, and health on the Weight Endurance Podcast. We're not doctors, dietitians, or physiologists. We're professional coaches, and your hosts, Cody and Kathy Waite. We've worked with hundreds of endurance athletes over the last 15 years through our training facility, plans, and programs. Within this podcast, we're sharing our own training and racing experiences, along with the knowledge gained from working with our athletes. We'll be shedding light on the training methodologies that we've found to be the most successful in making you a fitter and faster cyclist. host Cody. Hi Cody, I'm Kathy. And we have a special guest here for episode 55. We have registered dietitian and good friend mm-hmm. Christine Zimmerman. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah, definitely. We've been wanting to do this for a while. And the topic of our show, since you are a registered dietitian, is nutrition. And we've talked a lot about different nutrition concepts and things we recommend as athletes and coaches about like what you should or maybe should not eat. But I think this show will talk more about like a little different angle. Yeah, um, deep dive more into like the, the the thought process or like kind of our stuff we have around food. Because mm-hmm. your focus a lot of, with a lot of your clients is the intuitive eating mm-hmm. part of it. So yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to having the discussion. Yeah, because there's definitely a an emotional involvement component of food and eating and that sets people up for um success or failure yeah there you go thanks (laughs) um christine my dear friend we've been friends for how many years um i I know 18 20 yeah something like that i think we met back years ago when we both ran with a columbine track club the women's running club is that true and it's still the columbines group is still around today oh wow yeah yeah, you were, I remember how speedy you were, and I was just trying to hang on for dear life to stick with you, and we became friends and watched our, each other's babies be born and yeah. watched our kids grow up. In fact, we lived with you and your family That's for, right. mm-hmm. what, five or six months down in your basement, which is like a lovely home in itself, mm-hmm. and we didn't want to move. We wanted to live with you forever. I'm ready to move, go well, back as I soon know. as it's open again. <laughs> Can we please come back? Let's make a plan after this. <laughs> Um, So tell us a little bit more about your background. I know you used to work mostly Mm -hmm. with diabetes patients and then kind of talk about that and how you transition more into nutritional counseling. Yeah. So that's one of the great things about dietetics. There's just so much to do. Um, I do have a background in diabetes and prediabetes and I'm a certified diabetes educator and that's helpful because people are 
layered. You know, there's athletes that have lots that come to you with lots of issues. Um, and, you know, I also specialize in chronic kidney disease. But um, recently, and of course, sports, I see a lot of uh, athletes too. Um, but I got a certification in intuitive eating, and that has been really helpful. And I think really a cornerstone of all the work I do with most of my clients. And that gets to the nuts and bolts of getting to know ourselves deeper, like understanding that um, it's not just external cues that cause us to eat, but really honoring our bodies, uh, hunger and fullness cues, mm-hmm. um, kind of actually relearning and unlearning things that we thought were true, but have not served us. Mm. Making peace with body and our food and food is really a main concept of that. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And you are a wonderful athlete yourself. And that's a, a foundation of our friendship. I mean, not only yeah. do we connect just mm-hmm. talking about, I don't know, feelings, family, friends, the light, the mm-hmm. world, life. But um, we've spent many hours running and biking together and swimming a little bit, too. But yeah. it's hard to talk while you're swimming, uh, although we've made <laughs> it happen. Um, but we're you're a wonderful athlete. And... Yeah, just Thanks. it's fun to have you in my life. It's a privilege to have you and your family in our lives. Thanks. Yeah, I think the combination of your knowledge around nutrition and being a dietitian combined with the fact that you are a really good athlete is what makes you so um, valuable, I guess, to learn from for mm-hmm. other athletes. So, um, and not only you, but your husband's an amazing athlete. Your son's an amazing athlete. Um, kind of a whole little family your, your younger daughter is an amazing athlete yeah she's coming into coming her own with lacrosse i yeah. think isn't she um, yeah. some days yeah. <laughs> some days so the athletic genes are there yeah. but there's no doubt having had many meals with with you and your family over the years it's like mm-hmm. you guys eat quote unquote correctly mm-hmm. and i've also noticed from being around you and kathy's very good about this is eating like the right amounts of food as well where i personally tend to overindulge in food and that's maybe like something we can kind of dig into. Like there's obviously something there in my history, my past that makes that happen. Where like Kathy, for example, you you have always been in tune with your eating and you've always said like, listen to your body. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that's where your specialty is with intuitive eating and yes. that sort of thing. Yes. And I think so many people could learn a lot and gain a lot of value from learning more about that so this Mm -hmm. should be a good discussion I hope yeah (laughs) I think even one of the first things you said when you started the podcast was should Mm -hmm. and that word it can be so colored you know and I think a lot of people are just struggling in the diet mentality um and diet culture which has a lot of rules and regulations and people sometimes come from families that had a lot of rules but then they also slide into the culture of dieting and that can be really problematic um, because of like the rebel that comes out with dieting and that we now know and have the science that says the thing most predictive of weight gain is dieting. Mm. (laughs) Say that again. Yeah, it's really important. The thing that's most predictive with weight gain is dieting. Correct. So if you're seeking to be on a diet, chances are you're going to gain weight. <laughs> I know right? that sounds yeah. crazy, and and it's like what? Right. Um. And people are now thinking, oh my god, I tried the keto diet and I lost twenty five pounds. Yes, you can temporarily 
temporarily, um, change your body. Um, but we know that it's not, it usually does not last. In yeah. fact, over 90% of people that go on diets, um, don't sustain that behavior. Yeah. And so, and then people go, okay, well this time it's going to work. I'm like, you know what? There's really nothing out there. Um, that works long-term like that. So let's look at what does work. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's really important because we now know that people that cycle, weight cycle, some people call it yo-yo dieting, and mm-hmm. it can be even 10 to 15 pounds are really in a problematic spot. Um, mm-hmm. My dad struggled with that for years. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that for him? It, it's, it's. Um, I think he feels like a failure all right. the time. Yeah. And I can't imagine it's good for his health that he's, Mm-hmm. Up 15 pounds, down 15 pounds, up 20 pounds, down 10 pounds. Yeah, the hormonal changes, I think, would be not so right. good for the body. But Kathy's right in that it's two-pronged. It's not just physically, but emotionally. It's crushing. It's like, you know, when you go up that 15, um, shame is perpetuating of sometimes bad behaviors. Like, mm-hmm. right, we, um, many times people get stuck into that restrict binge repeat cycle, Right. Oh, I think I'm at 15 pounds. I better cut back. I better do no- another few miles on the bike. Mm-hmm. And then they end up getting to that hangry. <laughs> and then the binge and then the guilt and shame. And then they, it's kind of a cyclical thing. So observing that um, and working in that place, I think, is really, really important with people. So yeah. how do you approach your clients then? Like knowing... Mm-hmm that people tend to heap shame on themselves and then we have like familial history that plays such a huge part of it. Do you have them start by telling their story? Yes. Right. So finding out the story and giving people some space to really think about like, what were your family rules? Um, Did you have to clean your plate? Did you, did you get dessert every night? Maybe not a rule, but like this was the family pattern. Mm -hmm. And then identifying those things that tend to still be lingering in their current behavior. Um, Or, for example, sometimes the generation we're seeing now, they had moms that may have restricted and dieted or felt really poor about their behavior. And then I'm having, you know, moms in their 30s come to me and say, gosh, I'm noticing that I'm having this diet behavior because of what I've observed in my parents Mm. and I don't want Mm -hmm. to show that to my kids. And so sometimes it's people have to get to that point of, wow, there is something that I'm carrying with me that isn't useful and I need to really take a look at that. Yeah. So it is fascinating. Yeah. Cody and I have talked even on this podcast before about like our family backgrounds with food. Um, I remember specifically telling a story on one podcast about how your mom was really busy uh, working. She was a single mom for a few years there, and and she was building up her counseling practice. And so you were sort of left to prepare meals on your own. And then when you were old enough, you were eager to go to the grocery store yourself and buy food and and make food. And then that sort of started your journey of like going to culinary school and learning Mm -hmm. how to prepare food well. I mean, when you look back, do you see kind of how some of those things affect how you eat now yeah I think so I mean when Christine mentioned like cleaning your plate that was always like something in my family Mm. particularly when I was at my dad's house oh yeah like it was you ate all the food on your plate and then when you did you were done and Mm. um 
I rarely yeah, ever leave <laughs> food on the plate. So. But actually, you're right, because when we were just visiting your dad, and he made himself eat all his food, and he was kind of fussing about being full, and he was sort of uncomfortable. And oh, I yeah, said, it's kind of comical. I said, well, Dad, just stop. Like, what? just save, like, a little container for, like, tomorrow's lunch. And he's like, no, i got to finish this. And I thought, oh, mm. God. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, and that perpetuates into generations, right? Um, I was just talking to a client today, and we were both observing how, like, our parents cooked at home. Like, we didn't go out to restaurants as much. And if your parents are cooking, you're going to honor that by eating the whole plate mm-hmm. or, you know. Oh, right. And so what strategies do you create so you could be more mindful, like, about eating everything on your plate? So, um what would you say? Like, well, I would say get a smaller plate. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, that was a great strategy. Like in the spirit of let's be mindful, but not diet, like you could still go get more if you were hungry, but what little break in the chain of unconscious behavior could you create for yourself? Another thing might be, um, like, she's like, Oh, I, I eat with like a big fork. I'm like, well, you could get a smaller fork. Right. Um, and it really works well with beverages, too. Like, if people are... Get a smaller glass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that before we hit record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said that, you know, if, if I don't want to over-drink at nighttime, it's better for me to just crack open a beer can because when the beer can is empty, I'm done. Mm-hmm. But if you have a bottle of wine open, it's just very easy to pour a little bit more. Oh, I'll just have, like, a little a, mm-hmm. a little bit more, half a glass, and then all of a sudden you've Three drank more than you meant to, and you're like, crap. <laughs> Yeah, then there's that guilt-shame cycle on that, so... Yeah. Then I might as well finish the whole bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe not, but yeah, strategies and being mindful. It's a real thing, like, um, being mindful. Yeah. And it it can be a a tough place for people. Um, Other strategies were, I asked her, you know, what if you start... She's like, I'm a fast eater. And I think you said you were a fast eater too, too. Kathy, weren't you? Did you say that? Mm, well, you, I don't know if I, I... I'm kind of Do you think between. she's a fast eater? I don't know. I think she's a fast eater. You do? Oh, okay. okay. Well, if you say I am, I am. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. But um, one strategy for fast eating I've noticed with clients is I'll have them use their non-dominant hand. Oh, right. Yeah. And it just... Yeah. It really makes you be like so purposeful. Yeah. And really slows you down. And it's just something to kind of consider. Um, you know what's funny about that is one time I remember being at our dinner table growing up. I was about 15, I think, because I was playing basketball at the time for the high school. And I tried to eat with my left hand because I was trying to become more dexterous with mm-hmm. my left hand. To be a better basketball To be a better player. basketball player. Mm-hmm. And my mother would not let me. Oh. She said, no, do not do that. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Judy getting Ju- straight. <laughs> laying down the law. Judy was laying down the law. <laughs> but I can see how that would be a good strategy. Because I think I do eat too fast now that you mention it. I think most people, it's become sort of a common thing, I think, in our society. I, I mean, I'm, I speak like I've been around the world two times, but it seems like many societies are mm. eat a little slower. You know, you read about mm. the old mm-hmm. Italian family that... You know, mm-hmm. it takes two hours to eat their dinner and stuff. That's probably more healthful, mm-hmm. I would imagine. And in today's world, like, we're so busy and need to get on to the next task or waste time on Instagram or whatever. We scarf down our food. Mm-hmm. I like the eat with the non-dominant hand idea. I think. Yeah. 
And the intuitive eating piece, like the focus of intuitive eating is satisfaction. And when you think about that, it goes into so many different areas. Like if you're really satisfied, you may not need the quantity of food that you think you do. Like, for example, if I'm going to eat like a piece of toast and it's going to be like the most delicious piece of toast with butter on it, Mm. I might have one piece versus like more to find that satisfaction. Right, Um, right. And I think you have a good point about like we're just busy and we don't honor and respect like the time that we eat and we don't like taste it. We just kind of move on to the next thing. And that's definitely a piece of intuitive eating is like, how can I slow down and enjoy this? How can I be present in my eating versus numbing out? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people numb out. They don't want to enjoy it because something inside them may think that they don't deserve the pleasure. Hmm. Like they don't want the experience because they know that eating is affiliated to maybe their weight or, and it's the exact opposite. The science says if you, if you really pay attention and are like satisfied and stay present in the meal, you probably won't eat as much. And if you don't eat as much, you won't gain as much. And so it's really interesting. Even just the concept of weight gain, most people look at it like this is the problem I need to fix. And now the science is saying, hey, if you actually look at self-care behavior and start really showing compassion for your body, that is really the best avenue to potentially Mm. get to the weight, the body size that is appropriate for you. Years ago, Cody and I went to Chicago on a little weekend trip. We It was actually when the World Championship Triathlon race was there in town. Right. And while we were there, we went to Christy Little's brother's restaurant. That was a farm-to-table yeah, restaurant. I can't remember what it was called. I can't really remember good. either, but it was incredible. Like, he literally had a garden on the rooftop of the building. Yeah, it was like a suburb of Chicago. We had to take, like, the train to get there mm-hmm. and stuff, but... Um... And we just, really we, we got there and he knew we were coming, that we were his sister's friends. And, and we said to him, just bring us whatever you mm. want. Like, you're the chef. Mm. This is your beautiful restaurant. And he would bring us a dish and then we would slowly and with relish enjoy every bite because it was farm to table. And mm. we ate very slowly and we mm-hmm. had many, many, many dishes, but they were never big portions. Yeah, they were very small. Because it's not like that, that kind of restaurant. Mm-hmm. And... That memory in my mind is just like an example of eating slowly because I guess according to you, I don't and you're probably correct. But like <laughs> when you're at a wonderful restaurant, you slow down because you're mm. you're paying a lot of money for it. Mm-hmm. And you also want to like respect the chef and mm-hmm. the time he took to grow the food, prepare the food. You taste all the flavors. But I have that memory in my mind, Cody, all the time of like I should slow down and treat every meal like it's that beautifully prepared meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It helps. Yeah, I think that's key. Well, I think this time of year, I mean, we're closing in on the new year, um, is the classical time of year to like, we're going to lose weight or we're going to change our body composition. We're going to you know do X, Y, and Z, New Year's resolution, right? And there are, I think most people go to this place of like, what diet am I going to be on, mm-hmm. right? And, and we've said, Kathy, you and I have said before um, that like if you're – if your diet, because your diet is what you eat, it gets a little confusing, right? Like some people, I mean, there's like diet, which has a name, like I'm mm. ketogenic or I'm mm. paleo or whatever, but but really your diet is just what you eat on a regular mm. basis, right? So 
if your diet that you're on has like a name, it's probably not something that's like sustainable in, in our opinions. Yeah, um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think Cody was describing like meal pattern, which is maybe a better word for like the way you eat. Like yeah. We just call it like meal pattern. Okay. Um, right, and the word diet, ooh. Um, yeah, it has, it, it has yeah. all these kind of It's triggering, yeah. so maybe we should <laughs> change the nomenclature. Right. Yeah. So, so meal pattern. I just say meal pattern, but... um. Right. So good point. A lot of people are looking for the next diet. New Year's coming around the corner and they want to change and they, they believe like, and there's always going to be a new one. Like, right. Right. There's so many. Yeah. And there's like a new one every year, more, more yes. than one every year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and diet culture again is selling a product and it's interesting when it fails because 90% of the time it's not sustainable. People blame themselves instead of the diet, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's kind of the ironic thing because you didn't fail the diet. Nothing, yeah, yeah it's not sustainable. So right. um, looking at sustainability is really important. And, uh, I, you know, there's people, it's so, you know, the three and four and five and six, you know, people that have been dieting since like literally in middle school, high mm-hmm. school and, um, they just finally like run out of diets and they're like, I can't take one more diet. And then part of the work I do is starting them on the journey of like honoring their body, um, honoring food and creating a relationship with food because they never had that. Usually food is the enemy, right? We were just talking about numbing out. And if, if food is the enemy, you, you tend to numb out, like, you don't even like pay attention to what you're eating mm-hmm. and then you usually overeat. And so you, you can see how that cycle kind of perpetuates itself, which is, um, yeah. So, but right now, as far as training, I mean, I think a lot of athletes are looking at like what, what they can do during the winter, winter months, um, and how to build up so that they have some metabolic efficiency, which is something I talk about with clients too. And, um, are you working on any, any of that yourself? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's sort of a never ending process, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we've preached on and on. In fact, yeah. our last episode was about aerobic training and right. trying to utilize fat for fuel <clears throat> and spare the glycogen and all of that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So that is like the never ending quest, I think for just about, or should be for any endurance athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for, for the... me personally, I mean, um, I mean, I tend not to, I try not to. I'm always curious of all the like diets that are out there, like the fasting things and the ketogenic and like, you know, li- you know, figuring out what they are, learning about them. And then mm-hmm. ultimately almost <clears throat> always deciding like, that's just kind of like too extreme and, and not mm-hmm. really going to work. So, I mean, I think we, Kathy and I, we base our diet around eating as many vegetables as we can and then going to that somewhat foggy term of like whole foods of meaning like not processed but including whole grains for energy including you know good fats like nuts and avocados and olives and olive oil and all that sort of thing um, i throw in butter in there ener- butter yeah <laughs> butter on the toast right butter is well, always on the toast yeah and along with the butter thing like probably our most recent sort of i'll call it diet upgrade has been switching to um, the grass-fed, pasture-raised meat products or dairy products. Mm -hmm. Um, I I read a few books over the summer that really convinced me. 
And it's something I've always been known for a long time, but I've always gone to that place of like, it's so expensive. It's like, you know, $10 for a gallon of grass-fed milk. Holy crap, you know? But then there's the argument of like, pay for that stuff now and have a healthy body because if you eat the crappier food, chances are you're going to have a lot more higher medical bills when you're older Mm -hmm. and you're going to pay for it then and you're not going to have as good a lifestyle going Mm -hmm. into that, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess that would be my biggest shift as of late is like switching around and getting the highest quality foods being like the grass-fed, pasture-raised animal products, organic as long you know just about anything we can find that's organic we'll go that route you know i've always i'd say we're half and half we haven't quite switched over all the way yeah not all the way but i'm i used to never buy organic things unless they just happened to be there but um because i always thought like oh wash it what's the big deal but i think more and more it's like Mm. let's pay that premium not only is it good for us but i think it's better for the planet and there's a lot of things you could talk about on that side of the table as well, but um, just raising that quality of food has been what I guess I've been focusing on this year, and that'll kind of continue mm-hmm. to be my goal into next year, I think. It sounds like um, the anti-inflammatory is really important for you guys. And yes. I that's, would highly it, encourage, yeah. some people call it Mediterranean style, but... I mean, athletes are in, create inflammation, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like that adaptation process, right? Right, you kind of beat yourself up first, get yourself right. inflamed, then you recover from it. Yeah. And in theory, you're stronger and faster. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you nailed it. And a lot of these books I've been reading said exactly that. Like, they all seem to be narrowing in yeah. on this Mediterranean diet as, mm-hmm. as like a foundation. I think you're not allowed to use the word diet anymore. Oh. <laughs> what do we call it? Food? Meal pattern. Meal, meal, meal pattern. pattern. Right. So, yeah. Mediterranean right. exactly. meal pattern. Would you, would, would you agree with that? The whole Mediterranean concept? Oh, yes. Okay. So, in, in fact, that's what, you know, people want, like, something to do. And yeah. that's, and especially athletes, that's kind of what I focus on. Like, what to do would be anti-inflammatory um, meal patterns. And you talked about a few things like um, nuts and oils. Um, what do you guys do in that? area like your nuts and oils and juice nuts. Yeah. we eat a lot of nuts i mean mm-hmm. we um my I mean, favorite are cashews but we also have mixed nuts i prefer around. mixed yeah mm-hmm. um i love walnuts too mm-hmm. which funny enough growing up i did not like walnuts. i hated them growing up yeah in fact my grandmother not to get too sidetracked but she would bake us cookies at christmas time oh my and gosh. they Same were chocolate story. chip chocolate chip walnut cookies and I would fuss about it as a, Me too. As a young We've kid. We've never talked about this. Yeah. About the walnuts and so my grandmother would make my own batch without walnuts. I mean how spoiled is that right? So I was sort <laughs> of indulged. But now I would take the more walnuts mm-hmm. the better. Yeah we we commonly put the walnuts on our oatmeal. Yeah. Um, that's probably our and sometimes salads. Those are the two places yeah, to get like walnuts. Yeah toast them up a little right. But I think we're big fans of nuts. Um and then oils, that's another thing we've shifted pretty mm-hmm. heavily as of late, um, focusing on olive oil, avocado oil, and coconut oil as our three primary, and then butter, I guess, for cooking and things, um, and avoiding all these heavily processed, oxidated, heated, right. treated oils. Yeah. Um, so we want to go omega-3 and less omega-6. Right. Yeah, and that's a huge thing in the American diet. Like, I really impressed. Like, if you want to do you know, really get inflammation um, because when we can recover faster, we can make great gains. Right. So that's a really important thing with the athlete. And 
um, that omega-6 is in your, like, cottonseed and soybean. Soybean, yeah. So when we're buying vegetable oil, Ugh. we're pretty much buying all that omega-6. And so inflammatory. Yeah. We just stopped buying it. Yeah. Inflammation juice. Yeah. 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 And not to be confused, people, soybeans, and correct me if I'm wrong, are very good for correct. you. Correct. It's yes. the soybean oil. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because they have to heat it up and force right. it out with machines and things that then makes it go rancid and it's toxic. <laughs> so I'm sure that I, I'm going to go back just a, a yeah, smidge here. Sorry. So I'm sure a lot of your clients just want you to give them the answer of like, tell me what to eat exactly. Mm-hmm. And maybe people listening will th- be having that same thing. Like, okay, nice, nice that we're talking about feelings. This is great. Love your chocolate chip cookie story, Cody. But, <laughs> but like, just tell me what to eat. But is that really what it is? I mean, how, how do you answer the question of what is sustainable for people to eat? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good question. What is sustainable? Um, really good question. Yeah, when, when someone says, just give me something to eat, what should I eat? You want to start with, what do you like to eat? Um, what are you eating right now? Um, and and kind of start with that place because it's such a personal thing, like what people eat. And there's some negotiables and some non-negotiables. And it's really different for every person. And, you know, sometimes it's like, Kathy might say, oh, I... I really like to um, eat meat. And, you know, there's a lot of people that eat excessive amounts of red meat. And then I might say, well, you know, could we have something in addition to your meat? Like maybe we could start adding a little bit of fish. So it's kind of tweaking things where you're not um, avoiding anything. Because once we take something out, if I said, oh, Kathy can no longer have um, banana bread. (laughs) First of all, we're not friends anymore. Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, that would not work. So um, the first place to go is finding out what you do like to eat. Mm -hmm. What is your pattern? And what could we make small changes in? And, you know, for example, a lot of athletes, a lot of people just don't eat breakfast. Or, you Mm -hmm. know, they don't fuel themselves, as you guys know, correctly they say, well, I'm not hungry at breakfast. And if I'm intuitive eating, then I shouldn't eat because I'm not hungry. Right. Like, well, there's a little gray area there where you know you're going to do a workout and you do need fuel for that workout. And so you need to start having a few bites. And then because we know that you can actually have a more productive workout, your body can still maintain fat for fuel if you even have a small snack mm-hmm. before you work out versus having nothing at all. So... That's a really great that. tip. Like just that that thought that people have of uh, if I'm not hungry, I shouldn't eat. You just told me that, Christine. You you told me to be aware of my body, right. and I'm not hungry. Yeah. But just to acknowledge that there, that there are sometimes gray areas there. Mm-hmm. Right. We kind of develop patterns, right? Um, and the pattern for most people that I see is kind of restrict, restrict, restrict during the day. And then, I mean, the six o'clock hour hits, even a couple drinks, and then it's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's a yeah. eating party, right? <laughs> eating party. Yeah. What would you say to clients who don't either know how to cook or don't like to cook? How can they create a sustainable food lifestyle? Yeah. And that you can, um, there can be like, I mean, in, in relative to like what our parents and grandparents did, we don't do as much cooking. I mean, think right, about it. Like right. we, 
you know, it's kind of in shades. And there's a lot of shortcuts in today's world, like there is. prepackaged things, microwaves, you yeah. know, all these. Like meal, meal, meal planning services, like you can right. order HelloFresh or mm-hmm. Blue Apron. Have you tried any of those? What do you think? I haven't, really. I, I know um, of people, like I think Cody's mom has tried a few because mm-hmm. she doesn't really like to cook, but she knows she needs to have healthy food. So mm-hmm. I think she's found them to be very helpful. Yeah, it seems like the feedback I've gotten from her is that the food is really good and mm-hmm. it's all portioned out and it's, you know, it makes cooking sort of fun for, mm-hmm. for them. Um, now the cost to the planet is something to be argued in terms of all the packaging and shipping and things but yeah um yeah what are your yeah what are your what do you say to people who yeah there there are different meal services and you can go to places and you can like make five meals in like one hour Mm. oh yeah and bring them home yeah yeah yeah. i have to um i would say yes planet there's a lot of boxes and make sure it's at the right temperature like if your box is sitting outside for mm, 10 hours in august waiting for you to get home from work not good <laughs> um <laughs> the meat is cooked by the time you get home right <laughs> tartar um oh, gross. <laughs> so i think there's ways around it and i work with clients um there's really a lot of good pre preppy salads like even in the produce section i'm like that salad was really pretty mm-hmm. good and um, it, I think as you create that relationship with food, just having an open mind to, if I really want to take care of myself, could I learn a few things in the kitchen? Like right, just, right. because I kind of call it like, um, habit stacking, like, Hey, I feel really good at this workout. I feel like I'm getting stronger could I be interested in taking better care, like fueling myself? And then if you're interested in fueling yourself, chances are you might want to consider like cooking a few things that might be a little bit more health promoting. And so when we kind of connect one habit to the next, it, they tend to get stronger, Mm -hmm. right? Like, have you ever started getting fit? And then you're like, Oh man, you know, now I feel like I want to even eat better. Right. And so just, helping people make those connections I think can be really powerful. So going back to the kitchen, like trying to put that in there somewhere, like, Hey, maybe you could learn a few things about, uh, grilling or, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily cooking, but there's people I think who hate cooking, but they're, they might have food fear. Like I'm afraid to get fat. If I don't cook, Maybe I won't, you know, do you, have you heard that before? Like people that just really don't want to learn about it because they're afraid of what will happen. Like maybe I'll really get too big or. Right. Right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's how it came about for me. Not to talk about my. You should. Yeah, please do. Go go, go for it. I mean, I very much so, I, you know, say 19 or so is when I decided to pursue bike racing as a profession and kind of went all in on it. You know, I had very limited cooking skills being a teenager uh, but it came to that point where like hey like first of all I'm riding a ton and mm-hmm. I'm eating a ton it's not sustainable to like hit the fast food place or whatever nor is it good for performance so I need to figure this out right and thankfully my coach at the time in San Diego his wife was a really good cook and kind of mm-hmm. like a good nutritious cook um, and I really took note of like 
because they'd have me over for dinner. Mm. I'd, I'd spend the winters in San Diego training, and I, they'd have me over for dinner probably once or twice a week. And she kind of sh- started to show me, like, how to put these meals together. I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. So then I took it upon myself to, like, and it became more of, like, something I wanted to learn to do because I wanted to feed myself, but I wanted the good food to support the training and the racing that I was going after. So mm-hmm. I liked your term habit stacking of mm-hmm. like I was stacking up these good workouts now it's like I needed to add the layers of good nutrition mm-hmm. and I think if more people could invest a little time learning some cooking techniques uh, and they're not difficult that's the thing like I ended up ultimately going to culinary school because I really enjoyed cooking and didn't really know that initially and it's not difficult I mean people I think sometimes think that cooking is like this hard mysterious gifted thing and it's really not I mean there's like these core principles that you pick up and Mm -hmm. you can kind of go from there and there's a little bit of an investment in the proper knives and pans and things but it's not that much and and you're good yeah but for some reason I've been sort of overwhelmed by cooking (laughs) (laughs) my mom was a decent cook and she made a meal every night you know Mm-hmm. good Indiana housewife and she fed us well we always had like a varied plate of food but she didn't teach us how to cook mm-hmm. um, because we were annoying to her in the kitchen our job was to clean up afterwards stay out of her way. Yeah. yeah she she really <laughs> needed, needed a break from the five kids you stay out of the kitchen while I'm cooking I maybe once in a while we chop up vegetables for a mm-hmm. salad but so I went to college didn't know how to cook um, started teaching myself when I got married, I didn't know what I was doing and started teaching myself, but I'd say the best thing that that's helped me is just by like learning from other people. Um, yeah. And like when we lived with you, I noticed how you would just keep it fun and fresh. You'd get the food network magazines and oh, I'll just try this. Or you'd pull a recipe out of the newspaper and you just mm-hmm. try you always were like really brave the newspaper just, what the yeah she yeah. I, I still do <laughs> yeah she does and I just honestly that was inspiring and still continues mm-hmm. to be inspiring mm-hmm. because you aren't afraid just to try a new recipe and maybe that sounds silly to you because you don't even think about it but I I mm-hmm. am afraid to try new recipes usually okay and there's so there's and, other people out there I'm sure yeah also are. and so yeah get a get a magazine and well, and, YouTube, I mean... And well, yeah, YouTube, or, like, pick a website, like, Bon Appetit, or I don't know, but... Well, like, our daughters, Sophia and Noelle, they're, mm-hmm. they both love cooking, and they are on social media, mm-hmm. Instagram, probably most of it, and or YouTube, and, yeah, they come up with, like, they, they've taught themselves to be really good cooks mm-hmm. off of the internet, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've shown them stuff over the years and hopefully been a good role model, but mm-hmm. they've taken it upon themselves to, like, this is interesting mm-hmm. to me and then they go do it you know so it's mm-hmm. it can be done I can appreciate the anxiety or nervousness or yeah it's or slight silly. resistance but um it's worth investing it's worth investing in and then just like ask people for help like I want to learn how to make bread but I'm intimidated but now that I'm friends with Kia on the team and she, I've been noticing her beautiful sourdough pictures like mm-hmm. I think we're getting gonna do a zoom call and she's gonna teach me how to make mm. bread because I've literally never made a loaf of bread from <laughs> yeast oh like nice. a starter yeah, I've just cool. never made a yeast, yeah. like a rising bread. And then actually on Sunday night, my sister Mary from Washington State, we did a Zoom call and she taught me how to make a pie. So I'm trying to be more courageous and learn. Yeah, and it's all been really good. Yeah, I it's mean, been fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just that attitude of, I'm going to try it. And we learn from failing. And 
it's just ingredients. Like if we fail, right? Right. Cody, we messed up many times. Yeah. Like <laughs> total... almost always, it's edible. <laughs> right. You might not want to share with your friends, but <laughs> or you <laughs> or can pick family. out something that you can eat from it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Make yourself eat it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had some bombs, and you know, yeah, but you're pretty good about just being fun and brave with it. So. You've been an inspiration, my friend. Mom, thank you. And it is interesting, the generation of like, I wouldn't think to go to YouTube, but that, there's so much there. Like our kids. Yeah. Like I still do. I like, I still looking at magazines still. That's I can, more how I Well, you did date yourself by saying, by me saying that you get recipes out of the, the newspaper. newspaper yeah. Oh, <laughs> there's actually some really good stuff right <laughs> now in the newspaper. Okay. Y'all hear I that? Go like buy that. a newspaper if you even know where to get one. Okay. And this is actually a good tip too. I'm not sure I should name names, but. King Super has a recipe piece on their website. Mm. And interestingly enough, they'll give you a lot of data about the recipe. There's some good stuff. I made like a salmon with capers and mm, like I love capers. Oh, and lemon sauce. It was mm-hmm. really good. It was on King Super website. People were like, what is this is so delicious? I'm like, King Super website. So that is something it's easy. And if you want them to deliver, then you just click it off. And they deliver oh, it to you. Oh, those exact ingredients? Those exact, yeah. Oh, wow. So you That's find the recipe and they bring you the, the ingredients. Yeah, they have so a good marketing person. I, just, yeah. okay. That's a I love idea. it. Yeah. Okay, well, we could talk about food forever, obviously, but let's do, I don't want to sidetrack from any other like really important information for our athletes. Did, did, we, did we want to talk about um, lean muscle mass? Did we want to talk about body mass index? What do we want to touch base on? Um. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of athletes out there um, that I've been working with recently or that we've been working with recently that like are putting in the work. They're doing the training, mm-hmm. um, but maybe they have five or 10 or 15 extra pounds. And, and I've said before, like if someone can get rid of that extra weight, like your their performance would go up drastically and more so than any magical formula of intervals or or number of hours ridden or anything like that like like your body mass Mm -hmm. is critical to performance um and but it's tricky to change um you know so i think if you have any thoughts ideas Mm -hmm. stories on you know if 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 an athlete because i've referred a few athletes to you recently um to get some support like how do you normally start with someone like someone comes mm. to you and says hey i'm, I'm training mm. for x y and z race i'm mm. carrying 10 extra pounds mm-hmm. how can you help me i think that's a popular question yeah tricky stuff and you said it and is. it's tricky yes <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the piece um yeah so it can make a performance difference, but not always. Like okay. we were kind of even talking about before, like how many times have we kind of had this preconceived notion that the super athletes are all of one size when mm-hmm. really there's really a lot of range in what a successful athlete is and what um, container they're in, right? The, mm-hmm. um, fitness can come in a lot of different sizes. So um, when people want to kind of, specify weight I try to put it in the context of what weight is Mm -hmm. and what it isn't so weight is not a behavior you can change and that's really important because we were just talking about um, um, habit stacking and 
when we kind of target weight, like the weight industry or weight loss industry, diet industry, looks at weight as if it's something that you can pick and choose. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I ask people, did you choose your foot size? Right. <laughs> or how tall you are. Right. <laughs> did you choose this? And so, you know, there's modifiable and non-modifiable things. And looking at, you know, your history of what you weigh, um, looking at, you know, your genetics is important because sometimes people get this idea like, okay, I should be this size. And it it's not always true that we have to really first kind of like respect that there is a size for you. And some people are kind of in this pendulum position where they swing low and then they swing high. And what I encourage each person to do is like, how do we get that pendulum to kind of be in the middle? Even with something like nutrition periodization, where maybe you're looking at eating a certain style in the winter, like maybe like, you know, to burn more fat for fuel, um, but kind of still keeping a relatively same size as you go into the summer. But if even though you're manipulating uh, the carb to protein ratio a little bit too. So first, I like to have the discussion of um, how long has this weight been on? Um, Because if somebody has been like a certain weight for a really long time, it's hard to move that needle, right? right? Versus Mm. if it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, in the last... Since COVID, right? right? <laughs> I've gained 15 problem. pounds. Yeah. Then we can say, well, let's talk about the behaviors that kind of went into that, um, that may have influenced that extra weight and trying to look at the behavior. When, when we look at weight as a something, you know, that we're targeting and hating and it can get more problematic. Right. Right. Because when you attack something, the focus you go to our focus, right? And if we mm-hmm. focus on the weight, we tend to like just get obsessed about it mm-hmm. and it doesn't go away. I, this oh my God, you know what I just thought of? It's <gasps> like that phrase in mountain biking, like Lee McCormick would say, it's like, look where you want to go. Like if you look at that rock, you're going mm-hmm. to hit it every time. But if you yes. look around the turn, you're going to safely get around the turn and keep going down the trail. Thank you for that. Right. Yeah. So if you're obsessed on weight, right? then you, well, certainly you could develop eating disorders and all those sorts of things. Amen. Yeah. And that's what happens. And we see it like in all the ranges. Um, So we want to look at the habits, the healthy habits, and really pull that into like, how am I taking um, self-care? Like, oh, am I sleeping enough? Like, how many times do we even think about that? We're so focused on like weight and movement and exercise. But these people that aren't sleeping, like they definitely have some issues with weight blood sugars yeah there's a lot of new science on that for sure Uh yeah sleep is key Mm -hmm. so habits um going back to what you were saying kathy really important not to target the weight but looking at like what habits maybe go maybe influencing your weight and that is i think a better strategy and then like the idea of looking down the trail where Mm -hmm. you want to go is like i'm looking towards health and I'm looking towards like feeling good as a human mm-hmm. being. Right. Yeah. And then even maybe athletic performance, but like feeling mm-hmm. good first mm-hmm. and then athletic performance as a bonus. And that's what's down the trail. Yeah. When we can get people to really feel compassion towards themselves, it changes everything. Like 
oh, I have compassion about... Compassion at least creates a space that people can kind of be a little bit more present in. Um, Well, even an example of like someone I was talking to today, she's like, I'm not going to buy fitness clothes because I'm not in the body that I want to have. I'm Mm. going to get fitness clothes when I'm this size. Yeah. Mm. When I'm skinnier, I'll go to Lululemon. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not very compassionate. But I said, what would a friend say to you? Like, how would a friend talk to you about, you know, getting fitness clothes? And, and, and she's like, oh, a friend would probably tell me, like, to get the clothes that fit me right now. And that make me feel good about myself so that I want to go exercise. Right. And now you're habit stacking. You're like, okay, I'm in my clothes that make me feel good. I'm in my fitness clothes. Now I might want to go walking. Mm-hmm. And now I'm walking. Oh, maybe I want to eat something good for me. So that's kind of the pattern that... I think is a little bit more productive, but um, exactly looking down the road, but trying to tell, trying to get people to see like, what if you were in the body you wanted right now? Like you're, all we have is right now. Mm-hmm. So if we're just waiting for down the road, we don't know, but what can you do right now with the body you have? And let's pretend you have what you want right now and go do it, you know, like live it now. So that's, that's the other piece of it, too, that people are just sitting there kind of waiting like, well, when I'm size two, I'm going to go join weight endurance. Right. <laughs> I'm like, no, do it right now. Right? Right. Yeah. So. It's a good plug. Thank you. <laughs> okay. yeah, right. <laughs> hmm. There's just so much of an emotional piece. I mean, that's what the yeah. conversation keeps coming mm-hmm. back to. I, I just think we each have our mm-hmm. own story, our stuff, like, mm-hmm. you know, like like you were saying earlier, did your mom and dad say you had to finish your your plate before you could leave the table? Or did you have food insecurity? Or did you get rewarded with sugar? Or did your mom not let you have sugar? I had a roommate in college who said her mom was a health nut. Like everything was raw. Or not raw. Like they, they did cook their food. Like organic and mm-hmm. natural. And, and she'd find candy and sneak and go hide in the closet and her mom would find her. Mm. And she would get in trouble. And so it's like we just bring mm. so much to it and... Mm-hmm. You know, I believe food should be enjoyed. Food is a gift mm-hmm. that the planet gives us, and there's a lot of variety of food. Food should taste good, and if food tastes good, it's it's often healthy for you. I mean, that could be argued if you talk about fast food, because some people think fast food tastes good mm-hmm. and it's disgusting. But you know, just there's so much there, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I guess I'm kind of lucky that I have what thin privilege. We talked thin about privilege, that too, right? But um. But I had my own struggles with weight. I, I gained the 15 pounds in college mm-hmm. from eating pizza three times a day, and I didn't know how to eat for health and performance. And it's been a lifelong learning, too. Um, anyway, I know I'm speaking a little bit from thin privilege, but I just think food should be enjoyed and, and, mm-hmm. and that we should like take some time to like process the kind of the crap that we, we, we attach to it. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I, I agree that it should be enjoyed and, you know, people have, there, there's a lot to it. And in my experience, especially with like clients that have some, um, you know, different relationships with food, whether they use it for stress, um, a lot of people are using it for stress right now. And um, just taking a look at like, I 
sometimes ask people two questions. Um, what do you need right now? Or what do you want right now? And what do you feel right now? And sometimes people confuse those things. Mm-hmm. Like, or they use um, food to feel. Like, they don't know how to kind of process feelings. And so they go to their pantry, right? Um, so coming up with self-care and self-nurturance behaviors. Like, how can I nurture myself during this time of stress that's not food? Because um, our culture is or created. Alcohol. Or Yeah, well, yeah, right. That, right. that we're, right, we're nurturing ourselves or we think we're nurturing right. yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I'm not saying that you can't do some nurturing with food, right? I mean, like that, even when you said chocolate chip cookie with walnuts, I was like, oh, that sounds kind of good. Um, <laughs> but when it's your only way to nurture yourself, mm. it's or it's a go-to thing, then it can really be problematic. And I think we're seeing some of that right now in COVID that, you know, could movement be nurturing? Like, and mm. not even to the point where, it's always a fitness plan, but could you just like feel your body taking a walk? Mm-hmm. Could you just do some really slow yoga or Tai Chi? Like being in your body and feeling it is a nurturing thing. And sometimes I think people, but even athletes, like do you, do you ever find it with your athletes? Like it's like a should thing mm-hmm. with, with training and then they get kind of burnt out and you're like, oh, wait, why don't you just like have a fun bike ride? Yeah. We see it yeah, a lot. Are you seeing that? Yeah. Well, I sent a message out to our base builder program in Slack this morning that was like, hey, the weather's looking not so great for riding our bikes this weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the perfect time of year to go do something else that's fun, that interests you, if it's cross-country ski or snowshoe or a brisk hike or mm-hmm. whatever, because, you know, you can still get all the aerobic benefits. And it's like, take that time now because later on in March you're, mm. you're going to need to be on the bike because your event's coming up in say May or whatever. And so yeah, get letting yeah. people, giving people that other outlet mm. to go have fun and enjoy themselves, but not like I have to be or should be pedaling mm. the bike. This well, weekend. yesterday Sophia came home from a long work shift at Chipotle and was eating some food because she was starving and mm. she was tired from being on her feet for seven hours and bemoaning the fact that she was going to have to go sit on the trainer in the garage. And mm. Cody said, you don't have to do it. Yeah. You know, you can just not do a workout today. It's okay. Yeah. And not only that, you'll likely have a better workout tomorrow by not doing the spin yeah. that you don't want to do today, you know, so. Really important story. Yeah. Yeah. That... And we do get stuck in that, whether it's food or exercise, like doing things we feel like should, should, should. And then the rebel voice, the rebel comes out and we're like, I hate this. And it it doesn't really help. And we also lose our attunement to enjoyment when we feel like we should. Oh, I should eat this. Well, now it's not going to taste good if I should eat it. Um, (laughs) So... I like that you put that piece in that about Slack. Um, when people can connect, like, I'm really feeling good in this body. And the clients with all body sizes, I really made that connection because they can numb out eating, but they can also numb out in movement. Like, they, if you don't take the time to go, 
I really appreciate my body and how I feel and like what it can do. Like, look at me, like I can do all this. It's, it's really important to keep that attunement to movement and, um, enjoying it because again, that's when we have sustainability. Well, that's really all there is to life. Like we aren't getting paid to do this. We're not, most of us are not going to the Olympics. I, I'm not. I know it's a, it's a little bit of a crusher what? at age 46. I still had held out hope. But like we are doing bike training, we're running, we're whatever, you know, sport mm-hmm. we're in, we're doing it for the pure love of moving our bodies mm-hmm. and for the health ben- benefits. So it is important to keep remembering that. And, and sometimes it's just like a warm sunny day will remind us of that. We're on our bikes and we look around and go, oh my God, it's so gorgeous. Like, right. I'm so grateful. You know, I have those moments frequently when we take our trips to Arizona. It's like a reminder of like, oh, this is why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. The feel of the wind on my face and the sunshine on my on my skin and then like the sound of the, the wheels on the dirt, you know. Mm-hmm. That's like always good to remember. Mm-hmm. I'm rambling a little bit, but I just, I do think it's super important to... Like, just remember why mm-hmm. we're doing this. Yeah, I think that is key. And I, one of the big takeaways I'm taking from this is that term habit stacking. I like I like that. I'll have to keep that in my vocabulary now. <laughs> I, I think that is key because it's like you, you're creating all these habits. Because I've, I've told our athletes for years that, like, consistency is the key to improvement over years and years. And I think that holds very true to one's, um, I don't want to say diet, Meal patterns. Meal patterns. Um, He's slow to learn. And creating the the <laughs> consistency there, um, and and stacking, making habits of them, and stacking it. And I do find that like if if I go through like a a week where I'm not training a whole lot for whatever reason because I either can't or it's on the plan not to or whatever, it's easy for like the diet or the dang, dang it the um, meal. Meal Meal patterns. patterns. You just eating pattern, eating style. Eating pattern. Um, (laughs) To slip a little. To slip a little with it, yeah. But but because you have those two tied in so tightly together. Yeah, but when I get in a good rhythm of training, like on a daily Mm -hmm. basis, and it's going really well, it's so much easier to like reach for the right food, put together the right meal. It's going to support that training and the stacking the Mm -hmm. the habits like builds this massive amount of momentum. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I experienced that in a big way over the summer. Because we didn't have races to interfere with training. So I got this massive like snowball rolling of training and eating well. And I got like to the fittest I've been maybe ever, right? And I'm 42 years old. So um, I think stacking, the habit stacking. Is, yeah, you, is a you big like key. really made his day, Christine. You've given, him, you've given him a little phrase. I mean, he can't remember meal patterns, <laughs> meal patterns. but he can remember habit stacking. Yeah. What about like attunement with? For example, when you're, you know, there's a lot of stats and a lot of data, external driven, you know, data. And then how do you take that and maybe integrate that with attunement with athletes? Like, what is, what does that look like um, for you guys? Well, that, that word echoes the phrase, listen to your body. And we mm-hmm. do use that a lot. Yeah. So that resonates with me personally. Mm-hmm. So feelings oriented. Um, mm-hmm. And it also reminds me of like conversations I have with my oldest daughter, Emma, um, about, you know, she's learning to cook. She's living on her own for the first time. And, you know, her her food choices and her meal choices, I, you know, I always go back to like, how are you going to feel after you eat that? 
Hmm. Um, you know, and kind of pushing her more towards healthfulness. But like, Cody, what thoughts do you have when you're thinking about the word attunement for athletes that we coach? Um, I mean, listening to the body is the biggest thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we had some discussions with our We Devo riders um, over this last week about um, listening to their body because they're, they're trying to do multiple sports. Like some of them are cross-country ski racing and trying to build their like base mm-hmm. fitness for the bike. And we had a lot of suggestions around, you know, you've, you can't do every workout in both sports. You, mm-hmm. you know, you figure out how to balance it. Um, and I think this kind of pertains to diet mm-hmm. as well. And listening to the listening to your body on how you feel each day and making the choices that is going to set you up to feel good the next day so, mm-hmm. so you can keep consistency. Mm-hmm. Instead of overloading oneself or eating a poor meal and not feeling good because then that's going to create this little hiccup in the consistency where, Mm -hmm. you know, if you overload yourself with too much of a workout or or you ski and you bike on the same day because it was on your plan, then you're probably not going to do that great the next day, Mm -hmm. right? Or if you eat poorly on a day, you're probably not going to feel great the next day and it interferes with that consistency. Mm. And I'm also thinking like body trust. Like I think we're in a culture where there's so much – and it's not dieting culture, but there's just this culture of like so much external, like data driven, like so much information coming from outside that we've given up a lot of our power as humans um, to external data without first connecting internally, right? Because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you, Cody knows when Cody's fit, he almost doesn't have to look at some of this data because he right. like has this internal, like, I know I'm outside my threshold. I know I'm, you right. know, I know I'm burning uh, carbs right now because I'm anaerobic. <laughs> <laughs> and like, but just like teaching athletes to like stay in those boundaries and really honoring that they do have this internal attunement, this this clock, this this system that we can use some external stuff, but we don't have to completely uh, give power to that, that we can empower ourselves and trust ourselves with like hey i can connect the two and learn um from both my internal and connect these things to make it work even more make make the information more useful right Mm -hmm. yeah Mm, that's good stuff yeah yeah because i think it's uh i mean and it drives into what i do with people which is like hunger and fullness because i think ultimately that is a huge piece of like helping people kind of stay on track Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I struggle with that big time. Like, I don't, my fullness cues are out of whack, I think. Well, but that's also a, a tied into a how quickly emotional. we eat. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you don't give your body, your nerves re- mm. time to register fullness, then you're just going to keep shoving food in your mouth. Um, right. It, my grandma Wilma tank was a tiny little thing. Um, and I think. Her, one of the keys to her staying thin her whole life was that she did eat slowly. That, that's when I think about her, I think about her taking her time. Like she'd put her fork down in between bites and talk mm. to us at the table. And she was, you know, I think a lot of us just like mm. hold our fork in our hand the whole time. Oh, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, 
But like maybe just like putting your fork down mm. and mm-hmm. having a conversation with somebody and you'll slow down eating and maybe realize you're full. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one for me because I feel like I eat pretty healthfully mm-hmm. as far as like the foods I choose, but I'll just eat too much of it and more than I need. Well, the, try putting moment. your fork down. Yeah, or eating with my left hand. Oh, yes. Eating with your left hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you done um, – there's another thing we do, like having people drink up to like 32 ounces almost at one time. Like prior to eating the meal kind of thing? Well, just like really sitting and feeling your stomach expand mm-hmm. and kind of like, okay, this is full. And putting yourself through that mental space because then you can honor that and go, oh, I I now can perceive when I'm at that last, we call it like the last bite threshold. Mm-hmm. Like I feel it coming on, Right. And I know that I need one or two more bites, but then I'm like totally done. And so that's kind of a nice mm-hmm. um, activity I sometimes use with people when they kind of go to that 10 out of 10 full. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually a hunger and fullness scale that like someone, you know, like that has fullness issues uh, can sometimes use um, just because they are in the habit of going past their full. Mm-hmm. And it's a common and be, thing. And they are, like their normal is feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Like they just do that every single time. Well, I would look at that person like Cody and say, <laughs> love, you will get another meal in a few hours. Like this isn't your last meal. And we have plenty of food in the pantry and the fridge, and I'll even make it for you if you want. Because <laughs> I think that's sometimes for people, like maybe they had mm-hmm. some food insecurity or their mom didn't mm-hmm. cook that much and they're afraid that mm-hmm. there won't be another meal, even mm-hmm. though they may not be able to verbalize that at the moment. Right, right. right. Yeah, it's all tied into It's our all weird stuff, people. Emotional and all our baggage. <laughs> you, know, you always say that, like all the reasons we act the way we do or interact with people the way we do it's like stuff from our family growing up mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. all those unconscious behaviors for sure and that it sounds to me like that's most of the work you're doing with your clients now um i mean obviously there's practical stuff you're talking about macronutrients and you know what to eat but you're you've realized now at this phase of your life and in mm-hmm. your practice that that if you can help people work through the emotional stuff with food, that they are going to create sustainable eating patterns for the rest of their lives. When I feel like I wasn't honoring people just with science, like I did that for lots of years and it doesn't get to the heart of the problem. It doesn't get to the issues of, you know, if Cody comes to me, he's like, I really want to be metabolically efficient and I'm going to burn fat for fuel and let's do this. But then he's also like, but he doesn't tell me, well, I can't stop eating and I'm 10 out of 10 full every time I eat. I mean, that's really the issue that has to be kind of looked at first. So honoring and respecting people where they are with um, their relationship with food and their body is priority over, you know, anybody can just throw a lot of science and you can look up a lot of science. <laughs> but, you know, because that's where we're in. But I think there's just more to it. So, yes, that's kind of well, I just I love you well, you're a wealth of knowledge yeah. and a wealth of empathy and love Thank you. and concern Absolutely. and so if people want to find you uh, your website is www.carewithfood.com and we'll put that in the show notes yeah and there'll be links to you 
Um, before we wrap up, is there any other like message or thing that we didn't touch on that you just really want to make sure you said to everybody? Oh, um, no, I'm just happy to be here and, um, yeah, enjoy your food. And if you need help, just let me know. I'm happy to talk. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great, um, offer. I think a lot of people could benefit greatly to speak with you or someone like you that is in that, um, nutrition counseling, intuitive eating realm. Mm -hmm. For sure. Make some big changes for the new year. So, so check out our website. Yeah. www.carewithfood.com. And thank you for being here, my dear, yeah. dear friend. Thank you. Yeah, this is Let's been good. cook together soon. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, cool. That was a different um, conversation. Vibe. Conversation yeah. than our typical. Well, that's right up my alley. Like, oh. you, Cody always has his notes oh. of the, the data, but I like. To, I do more like book reports. Usually. I like oh, to talk reports. about feelings. So, thanks for talking about feelings with me, Christine. Yeah. Well, I think people are more interested in that too. Well, I mean, at least you and I are. I mean, <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll be back soon. All right. Have a good weekend. Everything we discuss on the Weight Endurance Podcast, we integrate into our annual Base Builder training program and downloadable training plans. Our Base Builder program is an annual online virtual group training program with us as your coaches, allowing you to build your best cycling-based fitness possible to prepare you for your next riding season. We also offer downloadable training plans for base building, cycling-specific strength training, and specialized race preparation for road, gravel, mountain bike racing, and everything in between. Consider our training plan subscription service, where you gain access to all of our training plans for as little as $20 per month. This allows you to easily switch between plans to create your most complete annual training progression. Regardless of the type of cyclist you are, by becoming a part of the weight endurance training community, you're allowing us to help you become a fitter and faster cyclist.